It's funny. People always be like, don't forget about the little people. It's like, why do they refer themselves as little anyway, you know? Why don't you just get big with me? They can see it in my eyes. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of John's Entitled Podcast, a partner of MoshPitNation.com. Kind of looking back, it's crazy that we are in 2018, and I know the last episode or two has been kind of one of reflection and kind of uh, nostalgia a little bit about just kind of where the podcast has gone and where the podcast is going to go, hopefully. Um, been doing a little bit of cleaning in my office, got a new desk calendar, kind of put the other one away now that we are officially into the new year, and it was kind of crazy to see the podcast schedule uh, on my calendar from the past year, some of the guests that actually were able to come on and the episodes we got out and some of the episodes and guests that uh, tried to get didn't pan out one way or the other. I'm hoping I can still get some of these uh, down the road and uh, I'm already filling out dates uh, for this year very early on and it's it's crazy. Like, I mean, even today I got an email from someone that I had reached out to and upon sending basically the resume, as I like to say it, which is just the podcast as a whole, uh, to the person so they could check it out, they offered me pretty much anyone on their roster uh, of, of clients. And uh, so I will be doing two interviews later this week, uh, literally back-to-back, uh, with two kind of entirely different bands. Um, and I'm really looking forward to it. And it's just kind of nice to see the, the momentum still from the end of uh, this past year going into this one. Uh, kind of filling out my calendar with vacations coming up with my wife. Uh, most notably in the next couple of weeks, we will be going to L.A., going to see 18 Visions. And I was actually thinking maybe I should try to go see a Kevin Smith podcast while I'm out there, the uh, Hollywood Babylon, and uh, to go to that if I can. And I might try to squeeze another podcast or two while I'm out there. And uh, it's uh, one of those things where I'm, I'm just really looking forward to where this podcast is going to go in the next year listening to a lot of other podcasts and where they are how excited they are and a lot of these people have been doing their podcasts for you know with like the nerdist uh going on year eight smodcast is on over 10 years hollywood babylon i think is going into its seventh year and you know just hearing people who are excited about this thing that they do once a week or so with friends and, and talking to different people and just having conversations once a week with people or more. And it's just crazy to, to think and see how excited people are. And, you know, like even seeing some of my friends, like the Talk To Me podcast, I uh, did their year-end review and, you know, hearing kind of like an audio version of like a, a yearbook of sorts of a snapshot of your, your year. It was really interesting. And even seeing that they made the PRP's uh, top I think it was at the time top 25 or top 30 list of biggest stories of the year. And I got to say, I was a little disappointed that I thought maybe the kill switch thing would have ended up on that just because I mean, Jesus Christ, that thing seemed like it was everywhere. Um, but be that as it may, it was really cool to see uh, Joshua and John over there getting uh, some love for the West Borland interview. And I'm, that's actually a guest I'm hoping to get some point this year. Uh, I've been working on it for a little while, but I'm uh, definitely going to try to get a lot more diverse people this year. And one of the things that kind of led me to the guest that I have on today, which is Glenn Willis of, <laughs> shit, really of a few different bands. He uh, 
is in October Bird of Death. He is in Two Minute Minor, and most recently, uh, the new vocalist for the uh, old like hardcore punk band, uh, The Blamed. And I reached out to him, and I was like, you know, I really want to start trying to get different types of guests on. I always have people who are in metal and hardcore and stuff like that. And I wanted to reach out and get somebody that is more in punk. Punk's not something that I listen to typically. Um, I mean, I would say maybe outside of like a band like Turbo Negro or Refused or things like that. But I think that's more, it's not necessarily punk. I feel like that's more still in like the, a rock or a classic rock or even like a hardcore kind of area, not punk rock. Um, so, I mean, my scope of knowledge in that, that field is limited. But the thing that I have kind of been thinking about the last couple of months with this, with where I want to take the podcast is with it being called an untitled podcast, that means I can take it in any direction. I can talk to comedians. I can talk to people in movies or actors or actresses or producers and musicians. And, you know, I really want to start diversifying what this podcast is and who I talk to. And I think at the end of the day, uh, as I say in this interview, even, you know, I the thing that I want to do is I just want to have conversations with people and and you know, learn something from them and be challenged by maybe what they do. And I think this is a great conversation and kind of a good way to dip my toes in because there are a lot of bands that like Glenn mentioned since he's now living in Chicago and has lived in Chicago before. And there's a lot of it where it's like, it's just so outside of my realm of, of knowledge. Like I grew up in the Christian met like metalcore kind of scene, like, you know, the early two thousands. And it's like Glenn was into like the Christian punk rock scene, which I remember seeing when I was in high school with kids I went to school with talking about it and seeing some of these band names on their, their, you know, battle vests and so forth. But as a whole, it is definitely not a, a scene that I, I was active part in and, and knew much about. And yeah, I have no bones about saying that I don't have any knowledge about those things, but I think the story that Glenn has that I think can be applied to anything really is the fact that he's always been someone who's been passionate about music and been very passionate about pursuing his passions and, and helping other people get in front of people, you know, just basically helping and wanting to see people succeed while he succeeds because music's that meaningful and powerful to him. And, you know, it's something that I've always admired about him. Like, we go way back. He's one of the few people, really, that I still am in contact with that ever saw me play in the band that I was in for a hot minute. And we played all the fucking time with that band. And it was just one of those things where, like, when thinking about it, it's like, this would be the easiest person to talk to about a, a sort of a scene and stuff like that that is outside of what I know, but I know this person. So I reached out to Glenn, and he was, we got this done really quickly. Um, and as you'll hear in the chat, we get kind of really serious about a lot of the stuff. Uh, Glenn, like I said, with him being so immersed in our local music scene, when I was thinking about things I wanted to talk to him about, he's one of the few people I've ever known that has been such an epic, like the focal point of a music scene. You know, everything kind of runs through him. Like he books a lot of shows. He, he does all these things that I had never, when everything kind of fell apart, like it kind of does when bands, you know, break up or, or so on and so forth. It was one of the few people I've ever seen where basically the scene blamed him for a lot of the things that went wrong. And maybe some of it's just, maybe it's not. I mean, Glenn does a pretty good job of saying, like, you know, not hiding anything that was going on with him at the time and, and him very courageously being very honest about things. And it's one of those things where I think where he's at now and where he's been, like, the last few years with his Chicago stuff, like, since he's moved to Chicago... He quit drinking. Like, that was definitely something that was a problem with him uh, when, you know, I was booking some shows with some of the stuff that he was doing before. So, I mean, in this time, you know, he has, you know, 
maintained his sobriety and also found, you know, his religion again. And so it's just kind of an interesting tale how it all weaves around, you know, still like being passionate about music and so forth. Uh, and as you'll kind of hear, like the redemption story kind of of like, you know, him giving up on music for a little while and what led him to come back to it. And I don't know, it's just a brutally honest look uh, at someone who, like I said, I've admired and known for probably the better part of almost 10 years at this point. So without further ado, our first chat of 2018 is with Glenn Willis of Two Minute Minor, October Bird of Death, and The Blamed. Is it? Do you still go by Glenn? Because I don't know anymore with your Facebook name, like what you actually go by anymore. Sure. Yeah. I mean, Glenn's my real name, so let's. Well, no, I know, but some like it's like people were like, "Oh, I see your friends with a uh, Wiley or Willie or whatever." However, some people I've heard yeah. pronounced, and I'm like, "I mean, Glenn." Why, why, Wiley? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, I think it's just I think it's Glenn." I don't know. I don't know if he changed his name when with everything, but. No, no, no. It's kind of like in the Glennard days too. Like everyone called me Glennard. Right. <laughs> Well, at least that kind of made sense. It was like a, a different, yeah, a different right, take right. on your on your name. Yeah. yeah. Um, so on this uh, early Sunday morning, on the eve of the new year, I have the pleasure of talking to a longtime friend, uh, Glenn. Glenn, for those of you who may or may not know, when this comes out, is a member of three bands: uh, October Bird of Death. Is it Bird or Birds? Bird. Okay. I always want to put the S on there. Uh, Two Minute Minor and more recently The Blamed for some people who may remember those guys. Um, Glenn has been one of those people ever since I've known him to be very passionate about music and has always been at least in two bands at any given point in time and is usually playing at least three to five shows a week and putting (laughs) the rest of whatever scene he's a part of to shame. (laughs) Uh, How are you doing on uh, the Sunday afternoon? Very good. Glad to be here talking with you, man. It's been a while. Yeah, I remember playing your basement yes. many years ago. <laughs> yes. Um, but one of the things I wanted to have you on, you've, you've, as I have mentioned just now, you've been in a lot of bands and, and of a lot of different genres. And in some cases, even blending a lot of styles and genres that weren't really a thing kind of at the time. 
I mean, I'm, I'm even thinking of a band like uh, There's Ethel B of Lions, which was... I don't even know how you describe that band, but <laughs> I, I think was sort of a product of its time, but was even still something that if it were to come out now, I still think would be unique unto itself, even, you know, almost 10 years after the fact. Um, so I've always kind of admired the fact that you're not afraid to just weave in and out of any kind of genre uh, and just really commit to it. But like I like to do on here, let's let's start where it all began. Why don't you give us a little bit of a background on you and, and how you got into music and and all that kind of stuff. Oh man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I got to go back inside my brain folds and figure all this out here. Um, well, I guess I started doing music in high school. Um, a friend of mine, Nate, who was this Christian dude, started a Christian punk band. Okay. And he brought me to cornerstone 1998 i want to say it was okay you, you know you remember what cornerstone was oh yeah yeah the christian festival yeah it's kind of weird that it's i'm just kind of surprised nothing has come into its place to take it take over there has been something what oh that's right i'm sorry yeah the audio feed audio feed yeah that's right that's right it's, almost it's, in the same place too yeah it's very small um i know that well, we'll get more into this, but the commune that I lived at for about three years, uh, Jesus People USA, used to put on Cornerstone. Okay. And when they shut down Cornerstone, I think it was 2012, if I'm not mistaken. That sounds about right, they, yeah. They gave all their contacts to Audio Feed. Okay. So it's kind of an extension of that, but it's very, it's, it's a lot smaller. So, so anyways, I went to Cornerstone 1998, and the First, I was really into punk rock then. Uh, my favorite band at the time was Operation Ivy. So my buddy was like, you got to check out this band called Head Noise. They're a punk rock band, you know, with a female singer. So I went and checked them out and they blew my mind. And I actually got saved at that show. And, and so that's when I became a Christian. It was 1998 at Cornerstone. I always, I always wonder how... I to do music. So we, anyways, we started a Christian punk rock band. And for, I'm trying to remember too, were you still living in Kalamazoo at this point or was this living somewhere else? Uh, 1998, yeah, I would have been in Kalamazoo, yeah. Okay, because... Yeah, I went to high school in Kalamazoo. Okay, same. Because uh, the thing about what's interesting too about us is like having lived in Kalamazoo and, and being a part of a, a scene for what little bit I feel like there was one, like in the in the early to mid-2000s, kind of has a, a plays on to sure. some of what we'll end up talking about a little bit later on. So you ended up starting a punk band while you were still in high school. Like, I, I mean, speaking yeah. to Kalamazoo, I mean, I don't a terrible one. We were bad. <laughs> I don't really recall. Like I know the high school <laughs> I went to and some of my friends that went to other high schools within the same area, there wasn't really that thing. Like, you know, I listened to a lot of other podcasts with musicians and so forth. And I was like, Oh, I was in like, you know, from the end of middle school all the way through high school, I was always in a band. And that never really was a thing for me growing up. Like, I never heard of people being in bands. Like, bands were things that people who were out of high school, maybe in college or outside of college, that was the thing they did. So what was it like being in a band, yeah. let alone a punk band, while you were in high school? Like, what was that like? Uh, we were for real very terrible band so <laughs> i think there's a reason why a lot of people start bands outside of high school 
<laughs> I don't know. It was fine. Um, it, it was. It, it was. It's always weird being a Christian uh, in bands and in high school, like being outspoken about it, because um, there's a lot of weirdness towards that, as you probably know. Yeah, a little bit. Um, I, it's completely different today. I, well, it's completely different today because. I think Christians isolated themselves a lot back in the nineties, especially, I know my group of people did. And I know, I think it's a lot better now because there's not really a Christian scene. It's just, okay. If you believe in God, that's cool. You're, that's what you believe in. It's kind of like the reason I really like the hardcore scene is because they're accepting of different beliefs in the scene and it doesn't make you any different. And I feel like that's a really good thing today that we don't have, a, a quote-unquote Christian scene because it really just separates people, and I don't think that's a good thing. It's been interesting. and in, uh, causes more damage than good. No, for sure. It's been kind of interesting in listening to like Bad Christian Podcast and listening to the dudes from Emory talk about with other pseudo or at the time Christian artists and listening to people talk about how if you label or you were perceived to be a Christian artist of some sort or in a Christian band – that it meant that you had to uphold these certain beliefs and ideals that people put on you as a person or as, a, as a, an entity, as the band. And some people were like, yeah, you know, sure. I liked having beer or I like to have cigarettes. Like, I am a person too. Sure. And so it was, it's something I never really thought of as far as people having to being, <laughs> being judged within their own scene of under the umbrella of Christianity because of like, well, Christians don't smoke or Christians don't drink or Christians don't swear or do these things. And it's like, I mean, sure that's, do, yeah. no, for sure. But it was just really weird to hear all these people be like, yeah, I had to like sneak around and go to like a bar, like five blocks away from the venue just so no oh, one would yeah. see me and like all this. And it's like, I never would have ever thought of that. That's but how I, the scene was back in the nineties. <laughs> yeah. I can only speak for that, you know, for the nineties and early two thousands. Cause that's what I lived, but right. So I mean, I was. what, uh, Growing up in a, a very small town, and for those that don't know, Kalamazoo is, I mean, people don't even know it exists outside of the Primus song. So, yes, it really is a real place. Uh, Glenn and I have, have lived there and have fond memories of being there. But yeah. the thing that's interesting is I kind of feel like it's a very small vacuum of, It's. I feel like it has the trappings of every every small town that people are probably familiar with. Like, a lot of people don't get out of the area, and it just kind of is what it is. And... What was interesting to me is by the time I ended up meeting you, you were in probably one of the bigger bands in our, our local scene, just not even in a specific genre, just in the scene, like in the music scene as a whole. And even I would say in West Michigan, which where, how, how long did it take you once you started your, you know, your, your bad punk rock band to, <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll talk about, I guess we'll go even before that, like with Search Party from L is one of the earlier bands I can think of that you were in. In a, a I good, consider that my my first real band, <laughs> and even still, like I remember that band playing out quite a bit and having quite a bit of a name for yeah. itself. Sure. When I wasn't even a part of the music scene and didn't even know where one could go to see local music, but it's like I, I heard about the band and knew like they had a good buzz about them. So what was what was it that took from being in a bad punk band, quote unquote, to being in a band that like people are seemingly having interest in and, and all that? Like, what was that like for you, being able to? kind of hot from something that probably no one really was interested in oh, maybe due to the style nobody. or whatever <laughs> to, to being in something. I where think it was due. To... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say just what, what do you think attributed to 
the the early success of of Search Party for Mel? Well, I honestly think uh, so. So the bad punk rock band that I was in was originally called Inspector Seven. Okay. And so this was like pre everyone had internet type thing. Like you didn't have MySpace yet. You know, this is like nineties. I had a sweet Zanga page. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we didn't really know a lot about different band names and stuff like that in like 95, 96. So um, a band actually came through our town. I don't, you probably don't remember this band, but they're called Buck Believers Under Christ Kingdom. I do only, I do not, I never heard them, but uh, the kids in my high school, one of them being Nate that went on to be the bass player from Brothers. Yeah. Uh, him and I went to high, the same high school. And like, so all of like that scene of like the Christian kids, like a lot of them were so into like the Christian punk scene that was going on around then. And so a lot of them would be like, oh, I went to this insert whatever band name show. And I yeah. think I want to say that that band played Club Soda. Oh, yeah. They played and, everywhere. They played youth groups, churches, Club okay. Soda. Yeah. There was, a, I guess, a Club Soda show or maybe even a, a Skeleton show. And everyone came back like either middle of the week or like the next week and like everyone's like oh my god were you were you at that buck show no i couldn't go <laughs> like my parents wouldn't let me leave for the night or something like that or i couldn't catch a ride so i remember there being a strong buzz about this band but very much sort of i think like the punk scene the the christian punk scene of the the late 90s very early 2000s like my high school time i just remember like it sort of being like how i feel like death metal is now where like i'd see all these like crazy patches and stuff and i'm like i can't even read whatever that says like it's sure. it's illegible to me uh so so i was at audio feed last year and look what i actually found i found wow. it for a dollar i found it for a dollar <laughs> i would assume there's like a tape trading or tape trading type thing collection yeah. scene out there for that yep okay um it was crazy because i saw this cd and i was with our drummer of he's actually in two bands with me but he's young he's like 26 and i was like oh my goodness a buck cd he's like what in the world is buck so i just <laughs> but they were a band that really inspired me them and head noise to because buck was from around michigan they were in i don't remember the detroit area maybe i'm probably completely wrong but i knew they were from michigan okay um and they really inspired me because they were you know early 20s at the time and i was a kid you know and they inspired me to do music, sadly. <laughs> I, listen to, I listen to it now, and it's not, you know, it's pretty cheesy, but it's whatever. When you're a kid, you love that kind of stuff, you know? It is kind of interesting. I don't, it's interesting when people go back and listen to stuff that they listened to when they were sort of coming into their own, whether it be as a musician or as a person. What's mm -hmm. always interesting to me is I don't ever feel like, oh, why did I ever listen to this? It's more like, what, like I try to look at it a different way where I try to figure out what is it about the music that I liked and then sure. trying to, you know, figure that out. And it's like, no, I, I, I don't have any, I don't have any things where I'm like, Oh, that's so cheesy. It's like, well, I probably wouldn't listen to this now, but sure. there's a little bit of nostalgia attached to it. So I'm able to kind of like look past that, but. Oh dude, I listened to this album at least four times already. I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, really? This is a little, you know what I mean? Like yeah. if, if I was to find it now, if it was a new album that came out and I put it on, I'm not sure if I would actually give it the time of day or not. That's what I'm <laughs> right. Um, so from Buck, you ended up being reinvigorated again by another sort of like another band to start. Oh yeah. So sorry. I got oh, you're good. Here. So, so Buck played a show with this band called 
uh, Inspector Seven, but that was the name of our band. <laughs> so that's that's how we found out that there was the same band name. It was this uh, kind of like Scotch type band, um, and we we're like, dang it! Now we got to rename our band. <laughs> so we were really into Squad Five O, and I, I still hold to that. I love the first two Squad albums. You know that band? Again, another band I'm very familiar with seeing around, yeah. but not something I ever really listened to. So we sat down as a band and we were like trying to figure out names. So we came up with 7.0 Patrol. Kind of like our... So basically, we couldn't play any of our instruments. So getting to your question through this whole circle is being in a band that really didn't know how to play their instruments. Uh, uh, but we were in that band all through high school. So we kind of learned how to... I, I kind of learned how to use my voice because I was, I think I was the original drummer and I was terrible at drums at the time. It's <laughs> um, still not amazing, but I'm a little bit better. And I remember working with my voice and trying to get to know it. And, uh, and that's kind of where I fell into myself and I really fell into my voice was in that band. And so when search party came along, it was with some really good friends of mine and we kind of knew what we were doing by then because we had like, you know, five years behind our belt doing terrible music. So. <laughs> <laughs> and for those, cause I don't, I don't know if search party has stuff available online. We actually, Justin just put up our second album only on Spotify. Okay. Uh, typically when I, when I talk to some bands that were around in the MySpace days, I try to go back and yeah. find stuff on MySpace and see if it's still there to be like, well, if you want to listen to it, like here's the song on MySpace. Uh, but for those who may inevitably go back and try to find that, or maybe like, Oh, I forgot about that band. How would you classify search party for Mel? Uh, I would say it's like indie punk, indie punk rock. I guess we were heavily influenced by me without you. Like their first album, their heavier album, a to B life. Cause that's, that was the only album that was out at the time uh, me, from me without you when we were a band. And then we were heavily influenced by at the drive-in. I think relationship of command would have just come out at that point roughly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then uh, Billy talent, we were kind of, uh, it was a little bit too poppy for us, but there was some times like the guitar work and the bass work in that album. The first Billy talent album is really good. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's when, what, Try Honesty was the big hit off of that record? Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's weird that they're, so, they're huge over in Canada and everywhere else other than here in the States. Yeah, well, they were big here for a while, weren't they? I think that first record is like, that's that single kind of caught on when like MTV2 and other things, other avenues yeah, yeah. to push stuff, yeah. but yeah. It's it's kind of funny, I was and kind of thinking about doing this chat with you, I remembered, and I don't even know if you were there, but I know... Because you all collectively lived together too, I believe. We did, and all so of, all of us. Yeah, and so I remember when I lived in the student ghetto of Kalamazoo, randomly going over to these people's houses, and someone was like, "Oh, we have like just playing someone's guitar, asking if I could, and jamming around on something." And then someone's like, well, "We have like a jam space down in the basement. You want to go play?" And I was like, "Okay," and I didn't know that anybody in this thing was like a band, yeah. so everyone just kind of was like, "Well." play this and then for like 10 minutes they're like all right let's all switch instruments and i'm like oh uh, okay <laughs> i like they would just do that but like what i didn't realize was that hey since they were a band everyone kind of knew stuff like when they would all switch instruments to like start jamming on this idea that they had all been working sure. on 
except me who's just like kind of holding whatever instrument I'm playing or stuck behind. And I'm just like, I don't know what to do. Like, (laughs) and then someone was like, Oh, so you were jamming with all the dudes in search party for Mel. And I go, Oh, so they're a band. Like they, they all collectively are a band together. That makes so much more sense now. Yeah. But, and I was trying to think if you were actually there, but I don't, I don't think so. Cause I think they were saying that our singer's not here, which would have been you. So at that point I was like, Oh, I ended up, uh, I would have, probably met you about a year or two before we ended up meeting yeah but it's really weird to think back on that like i hadn't thought of that in a long time so did you ever see search party live uh yes there there were a lot of shows uh that i would go to at like club soda and yeah our first show was at club soda and i was gonna say crap row i think yeah we play crap row a lot our um, senior release party was at crap row but it was a lot of times where like just hanging out with the different people I did, like once I got out of high school and lived like down in that area, I would just go to shows. Like and I have no idea like what I was going to see or who it was or anything like that. Sure. It's just like a collection of friends or hey, we're meeting up with this girl who's like friends with these other people and it's like, all right, I'll go. And so yeah. there's a lot of bands from that time, like Rumble House. Like I remember seeing yeah. them a bunch of times, but I don't remember anything about the shows. I don't really consider myself a friend like a fan of it but i went to they a were, bunch of the shows they were like they were like rap kind of right they were basically like the icp of like our scene and then the weird thing was is like one of the dudes in yeah. the band i went to high school with and he was a typical like burnout kind of kid very quiet didn't say much and then when i saw him perform i was like what what the hell is this yeah. <laughs> like i had no idea you had any of this in you <laughs> yeah he broke out man he broke out of a show that's it's, that's what i feel like like on stage like that that's the true me you know that's how i think a lot of musicians feel well i was gonna say what's interesting though is looking back on a lot of the kalamazoo scene that i ended up kind of knowing like between like you and luke and from reinventing and royal like all of you are relatively self-spoken and pretty quiet but it's like your onstage personas and the what you perform are are completely the opposite yeah very very interesting and then oddly enough i'm pretty outgoing but then you put me on a stage and i'm pretty reserved (laughs) (laughs) but that's funny um so from speaking search- of speaking of luke sorry i gotta give luke luke is still one of my great buddies i love that guy but as a result kind of around that same time we played a lot of shows with your other band that kind of got a lot of notoriety in the in the local scene and beyond was their teeth will be of lions yeah and i that was around the time in the early 2000s of, of a lot of like dual singers like having two vocalists at times like it wasn't Super prevalent, like it kind of is now with like a weekend as Romans or even like an I Prevail type band or whatever. Sure. But you you had always had the the female male dynamic, so very much like uh sort of like the one song from like uh was it from Mom to Ashes or even uh was it Circle Takes a Square? Was that the other band that had two vocalists? I'm not sure. Okay, that was that's a band my wife. Wait, owned. did Circle Takes a Square? I know they were kind of like I know of them. They were kind of like a little bit grindy, right? Sort of, yes. Yeah. yeah. But I think they had a female vocalist and a male vocalist, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. But uh, it was in- always interesting to see you guys because there's just a collection of people on your stage. Oh, yeah, there's seven of us. Like which ska band. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you say that you guys are a ska band because, like, I don't feel like you were, like, a typical no, ska band. No, no, no. We had enough people oh, to be, to a, be ska a ska band. band. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, like you incorporated so many different types of styles of music. Yeah. And oftentimes would even, some of you would all switch off on what you were playing. Like, I think I can remember a couple of you switching instruments, like mid-center yeah. for a couple of songs. Yeah. Where, sure. where did that come about? Because I mean, even still, that's not something 
I mean, unless yeah. you're in Slipknot, like there's not seven <laughs> people on a stage like playing, let alone on a local level oh, and, and mashing genres like that. Like, so where, where did that come about? Well, did you ever hear the Teep There'll Be of Lions first album? Uh, it, it was kind of like uh, making fun of Reinventing Yesterday's first album title. I think Reinventing Yesterday's album title was Everyone Made It Out. Was it Everyone Made It Out Alive? Yeah, Everyone Made It Out Alive. Yeah. And our album title was Everyone Made It Out Alive, dot, 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 almost. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason we did that is because we were on the same record label. Yeah. And we were like... Uh, they were like truth and justice number 11 and we were like truth and justice album number 12 so on their catalog on their website it showed their album and then our album next so, <laughs> <laughs> to even have so the foresight to even do that is like knowing that that's how it would show up is very, yeah we're, very we're always doing always doing stupid stuff like that um but i was heavily influenced by mike Patton. i think at that time mike Patton was i, I guess still is he is a hero of mine so Basically, I would say Mike Patton and Tom Waits were my biggest influences for that album. <laughs> Such broad spectrums. <laughs> so, so I sat out to make a album that would sound like Tom Waits and Mike Patton collaborated, I guess. And it, like, I'm just thinking, trying to think of like any Mike Patton stuff that would have come out around that time. Even uh, sort of I'm, like I'm thinking like like Mr. Bungle type stuff was really yeah really I was gonna say I think uh, was it California came out yeah I I think that's my favorite Mr. Bungle album because it's I like that Mr. Bungle's weird but it's the least weird one it's more know? straightforward in its yeah. abstractness I think yeah no I agree it, like to say that it's the least weird one is kind of weird because it still is a weird album yeah I mean you got a song like Pink uh, Cigarette which is yep. <laughs> weird. <laughs> anything um, Mike Patton does is kind of weird but then I think you also had like the Phantomos and I want to say the the Dillinger record he did was out not oh, that not that long before around that same time that, that was amazing the the EP that he did with Dillinger yeah yeah and that's then, my uh, favorite that's my favorite Dillinger album for sure obviously <laughs> and then I, I I'm not big on Tom Waits I can't even pretend like I could be like oh and then around that in early like 2003 he would have put out this record and be like yeah nope Tom Waits probably had something out <laughs> oh yeah Tom Waits I think has like 18 or 19 albums out right now oh, I, yeah, that's too many like I, I think like 28 all together with like imports and all everything that's that's too many but he's, but he's been doing music since the late 70s so but the Fun thing for me that was that such, and I think it really encapsulates sort of what Kalamazoo, Kalamazoo's vibe is, is the fact that a band like TTWBOL can, can have success even in its oddness. And as an extension, like you, like I just remember, I think you were, like I said, at that point when I, when I had met you, you were just so... Like one day you might be like the most hardcore, like literally like genre wise, like hardcore dude, like where you'd be like, oh, I'm listening to this like new integrity record, blah, 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 blah. Like yeah, hardcore, yeah. got my shaved head, like all about PMA and all that stuff. And then the next day you like, you'd look like, you know, like you sort of did like in the Glenner days where you're more like a, uh, kind of like a, like dapper, dapper. looking, yeah, dapper <laughs> dressed gentleman. And you got a beard and like a pocket watch and all this kind of stuff. And it's like. Sure. Okay, I I really don't know. Like, okay, like, well that's that's the weird thing about me is I have three styles of music that I completely love and that I'll always love. I love dark folk music. That's a huge passion of mine. Uh, hardcore punk and punk were what I listened to growing up, and so that'll always be 
in my in my blood and in my DNA. And then folk punk is a huge. I love folk punk. I can't get enough of it. It's so weird though that you were able to combine all of those and, and not <laughs> like I just always remembered like watching the band and just being like. I don't know how this works. Like I, I get all the pieces and I can kind of see where everything's coming from, sure. but just collectively, I have no idea how this works, let alone how there's a full room of people who are so into this. Like, I just, sure. I don't know how this, like in wrestling terms, I don't know how this got over in a crowd, like to yeah. where people are like, you need to come see this band. But I also think it was just the collection of, of personalities too. Like everyone yeah. in that band, when you have seven different people, like there's going to be so many different things. And then well, I, I, yeah, good. I also think, that we were all actually passionate about the, you know, seven different styles of music that we were playing within that band, combining it, you know? The, the other thing, too, and I know this existed, because obviously the White Stripes would have been growing popular, popularity-wise right around the same time in another Michigan band. Uh, you were one of the few people that I, that I knew that had actually, were, was actually dating one of your bandmates, and I was always like, how does that work? And your mm. co-vocalists? That's that's even weirder. Because, <laughs> I mean, typically, it like... It doesn't work very well. <laughs> uh, I, I eventually ended up learning that. But at the time, it seemed like everything was so great. I was like, wow, this, I mean, wow, this, this, this thing works. And I just don't know how, like... Like, oh, I mean, man. I know in my relationships, like, I would hang out with someone all the time. And then I'd be like, I can't imagine being like... And now I have to... Not only do I hang out with you in my actual life, but now this other thing I do to kind of, like, escape my life. You're there, yeah. too. I'm really good at doing that to myself. <laughs> I'm really good at putting myself in awkward situations and uh, having to navigate through them. I guess it helps me grow and destroys me at the same time. Do you really, I mean, I knew a lot of that in, inward reflecting, like where, like, let's say, like something I always used to make jokes of to my other friends, like, you know, they would be habitual, like daters and stuff like that. And then it'd be like, if you talk about their ex or they would talk about their ex, like, oh, that person's crazy. And then it's like you talk about another one. Oh, so crazy. And I go, isn't it weird that the only constant in all these quote unquote crazy relationships is you? Sure. And I was like, why don't you ever kind of sit down and think about like maybe how you relate or cause some of these things and, and maybe figure out a way to not sure. be to do that. And, I, and oddly enough, I, when you say that, it's like I don't really feel like people take, especially back when we're in our like early 20s, I don't think mm -hmm. people really take the time to be introspective like that, introspective. Uh to kind of think like that, but like, I feel like when you went from, and I, and you know, forgive me for speaking out of, out of turn, but oh, it seemed ahead. like when TTWBOL was, was done and kind of like wrapping up, it seemed like it was sort of a, a dissolution because of the falling apart of your relationship you had at the time. But it yeah. seemed like you were able to then channel some of that into what would become Glennard and the Bastard Few record. Am, am I missing that? Or is that a fair, an accurate <laughs> description kind of, uh, I was in Glenard when I was in their Keep the Alliance also. Okay. Um, just, it seemed like the... I was about about close to a year, I think. Okay. To, maybe like nine months. Um, so I kind of want to go back and reflect on what you said about being the crazy one in the relationship. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't necessarily mean it to be you. I'm just saying like I, I have a lot of friends who... I completely they don't. understand. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I would say that I what uh, I still am a okay. I'm a very emotional person, and I, I wear my heart on my sleeve, and I'm very open and real about things. So everyone kind of sees all my baggage and garbage. Mm -hmm. And that band, I put a lot of baggage and garbage on that band on their teeth to be a blind. I can't believe they actually stuck around with me for as long as they did. 
because they saw my demons at their fullest. Uh, and they saw my demons when I was the crazy alcoholic. So, to, you know, to give your demons alcohol is, is not a good sight. And I can't believe they stuck around with that. So I give them props. <laughs> so that's I, for sure. I think everyone kind of, I think inevitably, if you're in a band long enough, people, there's usually that one person who kind of takes that mantle as being kind of the, the sort of crazy one. Especially yeah. when you throw alcohol like on whatever they're they're dealing with, I know yeah, for it, for our band it was probably me since I was in a not happy place and sure. I had disposable money since I basically was a server making a boatload of money and it's like you know like mm-hmm. I've often said to some friends they're like I used to make so much money serving like I'd walk away every day almost with like two hundred fifty three hundred bucks in my pocket I go sure. to the bar and between you know video or like video games or pool and playing music on the jukebox and then like buying drinks for everybody and myself it's like i'd be lucky if i had 20 bucks like not even an exaggeration i always remember you being the generous guy i remember when we came to your house you're like (laughs) you're like i bought you all this food and all these drinks and we're like what (laughs) yeah yeah i think you you literally were like i'll just play for a bottle of spedka yeah and i bought you a huge bottle because i worked at sam's club and then i was like i also have all this food yeah yeah that was awesome it was a good show. Uh, it was. It was good times. But yeah, so I would say that I kind of put that band through hell. And it, and it was because, uh, so originally, Jen, I think she ended up, she sang for Fine Fine Titans and she's in another project that I'm, I don't, do you know the name of that new Lokella. project? Lokella. Lokella. It? It's Lokella. It's the same. It's basically the exact same band, just a new name. Okay, cool. So she was the original singer of the Teeth of Lions. And I know she had to step down because she was going to beauty school Yep. Um, in, in the Detroit area. And so we were like, oh, great. So everyone in the band just wanted me to sing. They originally just wanted me to sing because I took uh, Bass Adam mm-hmm. from Search Party and I took Derek from Search Party. And there was three of us and we started their Teeth of Lions. And for some reason, like, in that time, I was like, we have to sound completely different than Search Party because there's three of us and I don't want anyone to compare the sound. So let's get, <laughs> let's get a girl singer. But I actually, I love bands with female singers. I really do. And so I really wanted to go down that route and try it out. So when Jen left, they were like, well, let's just roll with you singing. I was like, nope, we got to get a female singer. I remember we had tryouts in that practice spot we were talking about. And we literally probably tried out like 15 to 20 different girls. Wow. And we just, it, it was weird. It, none of them were on just on that level that Jen was on. She, she, she's a really good front person. Like she, she does really well. So anyways, I was dating this girl at the time, Jeanette, and we knew that she had been in choir and that, you know, she was in the bands, but she'd never been in a band. And she's like, I think I can do it. And I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> so, so you know we were getting desperate because we were trying to release this album and we were trying to you know tour it and you know touring it meaning you know like in the surrounding areas right um and so she came and tried out and she killed it and everyone was like whoa this is amazing <laughs> so base adam with the knowledge that he has was like i don't think it's a good idea to have your girlfriend in the band i think this is a really bad idea um we can keep her in the band until we find somebody. She can go on this, this tour with us or this, you know, handful of shows with us. But after that, I think we should try to find someone else. And we're like, okay. So we ran with her. She killed it live. And everyone was just like, well, let's just have her in the band. 
<laughs> and so, you know, it's being, go ahead. As I say, it's just, it's, and something I, I've not really ever seen this in general, really, but let alone on, on a local level. It seemed like when there's like TCWBOL, when they, when the, it was finally done, the project was laid to rest. Mm-hmm. It was kind of weird because it was like a weird shift too in the local scene, from what I remember. Because like reinventing was calling it a day. Yeah, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the longstanding bigger bands in the area were, were kind of packing it up. But the interesting thing to me when I think about that time was just seemingly like, and you know, kind of forgive the the crassness of this, but just kind of the general shit talking that went on, like. Just a, like the divide, really, of of the local scene. Like everyone, like it seemed like a like a nasty divorce. Like people were just starting to take sides. Like it seemed like once everything kind of like the smoke kind of cleared, everyone was kind of good. But it seemed like you caught a lot of shit from a lot of people. And like I just, <laughs> I'm, good at, I'm good at that. <laughs> it was just really weird because it, it was like I said, it was weird to see so many people kind of like lashing out, kind of done. But it was one of those things that. You know, it, it's weird to for for a scene that, you know, was kind of known collectively as the Kalamazoo Rage Crew for drinking and stuff. It's like for yeah. a bunch of people to point fingers at someone and be like, well, you're an alcoholic or things like that. Or But then like yeah. when that kind of all clear, like I said, like I hadn't I've never seen a collection of a scene really just kind of lash out at one person. And it seemed like you just took a brunt of a lot of stuff for the yeah. Kalamazoo scene. And it's like I I. I think you made a statement maybe on like MySpace or something. I forget on, I feel like there was a platform you used and maybe it was even like a local paper to kind of talk about it when Glennard was kind of doing stuff like more actively. It was was a local paper. Yeah. The Kalamazoo Gazette did a piece on me. Okay. I, and I I vaguely remember reading that, but I just, it's so weird to, to like, how, how do, I guess the easiest way just to ask it is like, how does that make you feel when you when you put so much into a local scene and you're supporting the scene itself, like between booking shows and and helping yeah. people kind of to grow their own thing and, and kind of be prosperous and, and helping people achieve like something that makes them that they're passionate about. And they just kind of have the whole thing blow up in your face and everyone starts blaming you like what what is that? How does that how do you deal with that? Like, I just feel like um, that it would just be so like I would just be so hurt by the fact that like all these people and like I have a tendency to be so forthcoming with you know positivity and trying to help people that now everyone's like lashing out at me i'd be like dude what what is this sure uh i think i don't i think the outlash was very needed i think these people oh man okay sorry i'm digging up like old stuff no 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 no, 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 no. no i actually i am if i had to go back and change everything I wouldn't change a minute of it because I'm a very stubborn person. I'm a very giving person. When I'm friends with someone, I will give them the world. I'll do anything for them. But I can also hold things over people's heads with what I do. So this was a a huge learning experience for me as a person. Because you got to understand, I was still really young then, you know? Yeah. Um, What we're looking at, like, what, 22, 23 years old back then, you know? Right? Somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah. So I'm 37 now. So I think it was a really good learning experience for me. And I think these people exploding at me, I think they had the right to, to be honest. I think I took on so much with being in three bands with 
pretty much trying to resurrect and lead this Kalamazoo scene on my own shoulders um, just so I could get the recognition, not on purpose. Um, but I really did try to revive that scene. And I really tried to put a lot of good shows together and, and do a lot. Um, but I think subconsciously I was like, well, look what I'm doing. Look what I can do for the scene. And I think these people lashing out had the right to do so because I think I was doing a lot of these things for the wrong reason. And I had to, and I had to learn that the hard way. Um, and at the time I just dealt with it by drinking and like, it got out of control. I became severe alcoholic. I was drinking a fifth a day and the scene was divided. There was people who were on my side and there's people who were completely against me. <laughs> like you either really loved me because I took care of you and I loved you and I did everything for you or you hated me because I burnt you. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It was so, so that's where the scene kind of did divide. Um, and they were either for me or against me. And it's weird because it's such a small scene that we're kind of talking about it. it. But it almost reminds me of like high school. Yes. I mean, you know? I think that's sort of what any music scene can feel like, especially if you're in the, in the throes of it, because either you're the sure. popular kid as a sure. popular band and, you know, you're only looking out and hanging out with the other popular crews or you're yeah. the outsider looking in, trying just wanting a, a part of it. Yeah. And if you don't, then you're always kind of looking at those people sort of like, oh, well, why are you so cool? Like, why? I'm going to be the anti this yeah. and, and just kind of go against it because it's, it's not what I'm about. And sometimes that, that sparks its own scene and its own movement. Yeah. And I know I'm kind of being a little bit vague, but the people who went through all this stuff with me knows what I'm talking no, about. No, and so. the, the point of bringing that up wasn't to, 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 you know, throw other people under the bus or anything like that. It just literally was more of a thing of, of trying to think about it. It's like, I don't, I can't think of any genre or scene whether it be local or, or bigger where i've heard of actually I take that back i can think of one promoter dude here in the grand Rapids scene that screwed a lot of people out of money and yeah. that dude's name's like all over the internet and apparently he's done it to bigger well, bands and stuff like that but outside so, of that just so, we're, just so we're clear though i didn't screw people out of money no no, no 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 but right exactly no the uh the thing though <laughs> that i wanted to talk about that though is just the fact that more or less like there's the end of a, of a scene of a, sort of an era of sorts in the Kalamazoo music scene. And then it just kind of, I just remember there being like, you were sort of the focal point of blame for why it went away. And it's like, I've never seen that happen. Like if you watch, like, if you're like me, I watch a you know ton of band documentaries and stuff. And mm -hmm. someone might be like, Oh, you know, there was like, you know, this band broke up. And then as a result, like, you know, they are one of our bigger drawing bands locally or on, on this scene and just kind of like a, a slow fizzle but it's like when it's all said and done you never hear about someone being like well it was because of this person and then collectively we all gathered to, to not like this person <laughs> and so yeah. I just like I said and the fact that it even made our, our local news I was just like wow like that's, that's so <laughs> that's so weird that uh it got to that point like I mean that just kind of speaks to the 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 impact that you as a person kind of had on our local scene back then and sure uh, yeah, it kind of it kind of made me the bad guy, and I kind of at that time, and I kind of like took that role because it's weird. It's like the Hulk Hogan thing. Yeah. I'm like Hulk Hogan's the good guy for so long, and that's who I was in the scene. And then all this stuff happens, and you take on the bad guy role, but people still are involved in your life and still want to know what's going on. That's kind of what it was like. It was weird. It was like I was like a you were a heel. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then the weird thing is, is I feel like you ran with that and you actually used it to like have people come I, up and be like, come out and see my shows. Boo me if you want. Like, I did. You, you ran I with did. it. 
So I mean, it's, I did. It's kind of like I think one of the things I remember you saying in the thing, like a poll quote, was something to the effect of like, "If you don't like me or whatever, come to my shows and boo me." And I was like, "It's yeah. so great because he knows that they have to pay to come see him to do that." <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really funny because when Glennard's album dropped, I had a girl from the Recoil who did reviews come out. And she gave her album a great review, but she gave me as a person a terrible review. Yeah. And I saw her at the show. I think it was at Papa Pete's, actually. It's when we were giving away those free DVDs. Yeah. If you came to the door. And she, I saw her in the front row, and I pointed at her while I was on stage. I was like, wait, what are you doing here? I thought you hated me. She goes, I do hate you, but you just make such great music. I have to come out. <laughs> and I just funny. laughed, and I said, fair enough. That's awesome. I mean, I think that kind of speaks to you as a person, though, too. Even in light of any bad or negativity kind of coming your way, you still find a way to have fun with it and try to be inclusive in what you're sure. doing. Through, because the music is, is the through way through everything. Yeah. Um, so around, if I'm not mistaken, at, shortly after the, the house show that we were talking about earlier, I think like shortly after that, I want to say you, you packed up and the band, the band collectively moved out to Portland. Like I think you did a show with Holy Ghost Tent Revival, which... Yep. Uh, at uh, Billy's. Yep. And then I think it, I th- it feels like maybe a month or two later, you're like, we're all going to Portland. Yeah. Uh, we had planned on going to Portland for about a year um, right after we made our album. What made you want to go to Portland? Uh, okay. Well, we did a show. So we always hosted crowd surfers well our banjo player jason walker hosted the crowd surfers you know you know what that is right couch surfing basically or, couch, that's what i meant Sorry. <laughs> excuse me no, couch surfing. not crowd surfing um not a lot of crowd surfing at, uh, <laughs> at dark folk shows no um yeah excuse me and so he did uh he did that and these guys from portland came and they were a band it was a two-piece band it was like kind of like a uh, it was a hip hop band. They they had like backing tracks and they had a DJ. So it was a three piece band. I think they had a DJ and then there was two of them. Um, but it was like it was really good. It was like social awareness kind of hip hop. Okay. You know, like what's going on in the world type stuff. It wasn't ghetto or anything like that. Right. Um, I really really enjoyed it. And they were from Portland, and they were like, "How connected are you guys to this Kalamazoo scene? Is there any way that you could get us a show?" And we're like, "Sure, when?" And they're like, "Oh, you know, like tonight." tonight (laughs) so we called up actually our banjo player jason's girlfriend at the time was a bartender at the strut okay yeah and we're like hey we want to do an impromptu free show tonight is that cool and she's like sure it's a tuesday we don't have anything going on it was like a tuesday or wednesday she's like we don't have anything going on sure you took a spot away from boombox ronnie oh no (laughs) (laughs) So I rem- was that open mic night? I think Tuesdays were actually okay, but I, I mean I don't know. I just remember like he was always there, and he would always whenever he showed up, you just let him give him a microphone and let him go. Oh uh, yeah, with the uh, SpongeBob costume. One of them, or the Scooby Doo, or the Scooby Doo, or the actually Justin, our guitar player at the time, gave him a uh, uh, Captain America outfit. Do you remember that one? Oh yeah. All right, <laughs> and now, quick quick reference for those who may listen to this and not know who we're talking about. There was a I believe he was a homeless person right i think he i uh i don't know because i know he was he always had, on the he, ro- he was his... always on the streets though basically and yeah i think he lived with his aunt though okay 
Ronnie would literally usually carry around a boombox or something that would play music out loud, and he would just rap, and he would walk around downtown Kalamazoo yep. rapping and, and costumes, and uh, sometimes would stand on street corners and get money for his rapping skills, and then eventually that grew to him coming to like the Strut or some lo- open mics and yeah performing with other artists and stuff he's sort of like a local hero slash like kind of like the uh wesley willis sort of really if i think yeah, about it he just he did headbutt like people <laughs> he was kalamazoo's mascot yeah he's awesome uh but uh, anyway he reminded he reminded me of jay from jay and silent bop like he'd always stand outside the the, the quick stars okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> and rap and ask for beer yeah <laughs> anyway though uh so you ended up doing this show with a, a portland band uh at yeah. strut yep and it, so we get there, we set up and everything. And they're like, how many people do you expect to come out tonight? We're like, not a lot. You know, it's a Tuesday night. <laughs> there was a, a lot of people there. For a Tuesday night, I think like 50 or 60 people showed up. And they were Solid. like, holy cow, you guys put this together in like... Dude, hours. Yeah, four or five hours. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, yeah. They're like, you guys should come out to Portland. You would be really well perceived. This style is starting to catch on. So this, this was kind of like... Because if you want to label it now, I would say we were kind of like a hipster band on before it was hipster. Yeah, it's very accurate. Like, uh, I don't think like the whole hipster thing was a thing yet then. No, and for those, again, who like, because Glenn doesn't quite look like he used to back then, but think very much like the Lumineers. Like, I'm, I I know there wasn't a washboard player in your band, but there easily could have been. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, we kind of had that aesthetic and that sound going, uh, the big beard and everything um so and that's i'll do a side note and that's one thing like because i was in that band i always i always played the part you know like album covers and shows were just as important as music to me like looking the part playing the part was very important to me did you ever do theater by chance theater yeah i don't know What's just kind of huh what do you mean like local theater like oh plays the- and stuff. theater yeah. yeah no not no? really Mm-mm. just kind of thinking back about what some of the things we've said i was like oh, it wouldn't surprise me if at some point you were like interested in like local theater or like acting or something no i i like musicals and i like stuff like that i would be interested in stuff like that i just never really got into it <laughs> so so anyways we played the show and they were like man you guys draw really well you got a really good sound you got a really good image portland would eat you guys up because you know now that we know what hipsters are, Portland is, oh, is yeah. the essential place yep. for, hipster, for hipsters. So we're like, really? Okay. So we talked to everybody, and they were like, you know, when you move out there, get a hold of us, and we'll give you a place to crash until you find a place. We have this, you know, this basement in our house that you guys can stay in and everything. We're like, okay, cool. So do you remember the, the band Vitamin V? Yes. So... Brad, our drummer from Glenard and the Bastard Few, was also in, he was the drummer of Vitamin V. And the bass player and guitar player, invited, or I think just bass player, bass player of Vitamin V moved out to Portland. And when we moved out, when we ended up moving out there a year later, we stayed with him in his house. And then we went and visited these guys that said we should move to Portland, the hip hop band, and talked to them and everything. And, you know, they were, they were going to get us shows. Um, and, we actually want another reason we moved out to Portland is because our bass player was going to school there to become a chef. Okay. And we're like, cool, let's do this. Let's move. So we made the move, you know, we took a U-Haul, took our van, went out there without even visiting, by the way. Yep. 
And the first night we go there, we, we go to a show at the Doc Martin store. And oh my goodness, I was not ready for the kind of hipster overload that Portland was. <laughs> yeah, but no, it's, it's still super hipster, super quote unquote trendy out there a little bit too much for me but the uh i did have a lot of fun out there i think seattle was a lot more fun and maybe if you didn't head out to seattle i think you might have enjoyed seattle a lot more yeah i did i did for a couple of days yeah yeah but anyway so you're and I, and I and i was also in portland during the winter season so a lot of rain yeah <laughs> well it's better than snow oh i disagree i'd rather have in my personal opinion i'd rather have snow than than raining all the time that's true because at least you can go out in the snow you know i mean if you aren't afraid of melting you can go out in the rain you can go out in the rain but <laughs> i mean i don't i particularly don't like to be wet and soaking when i go hang out at people's houses but yeah you're right fair enough um so anyway you're at this the show at doc martin's and just kind of a yes. sensory overload yes and i was like oh no what did we get ourselves into and <laughs> it was a complete downfall Everything went wrong from that night on. Uh, our bass player, two nights later after our first practice. So we got this practice spot, and we shared it with the bass player of uh, Vitamin V and his new band. They're kind of like a heavier rock band, whatever. Um, and so we shared a practice spot with them, and we signed a lease for a year. We put down a down payment. Um, to be honest, I think, I think we spent almost like ten grand on this move with everything. Sounds about right um, for a cross-country yeah. move. Yeah. And so with the down payment on, you know, paying a couple months rent up front for, for this house that we were at and then paying for the practice spot, which was almost the same amount as the rent on the house that we were at. Right. <laughs> I was like, oh, my goodness, this place is kind of expensive, too. So, so anyways, so our bass player comes to us and he's like, look, this school is way more challenging and you know it's asking a lot of me i i don't think i can be in this band we're like what you just we just moved with you (laughs) you know two days ago three days ago from kalamazoo made this move with you and now you're saying you can't be in the band he's like i really i don't think i can i gotta pay all this money for this school year my parents paying for it whatever i gotta take this serious i don't think i have time for this band and we're like oh my goodness so the same time our guitar player goes, well, I don't think I want to be in the band without the bass player. Cause they were living together. Right. And we're like, what? In three <laughs> days before we even played a show, we lose our bass player and our guitar player. So now it's Jason, our banjo player, myself and Brad, the drummer in this practice spot. And now we're paying for this place. And I think Brad and I were the only ones that signed the lease too. So we were like stuck in this thing. If I, I mean, I don't know if I remember all this stuff 100% correctly, but um, so we were like, okay, what do we do? So we put out Craigslist ads and ads in the local papers for bass player and guitar players, and we tried out all these people. And like, Glenner and the Bastard Few is more like a family. Like, we all live together also, right? In that in that Merrill house, just like uh, just like basically their Keep the View of Lions did and Search Party. So every band I'd been at that point, pretty much at least four of the five members lived together, you know? Right. Um, there was always one person that didn't live with us, it seems like, in each band. But um, so it was weird. We got these people in and we were just like, I don't know. So myself, Brad and Jason were like, well, let's just try to play as a three piece, you know, drums, vocals and 
banjo and it didn't really work. <laughs> so Jason's girlfriend was moving to Portland in a couple weeks. So I was like, okay, we'll give this a couple weeks. Let's just, cause she plays, she, she played bass in a couple bands. Um, she was actually married to Bill Clements. I think it is the one handed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 At, at one point. Um, and so we were like, okay, well, she'll come out. She'll be our guitar player. We won't have a bass player for now because when Glenn started, we didn't have a bass player. So we'll just roll with that lineup. And we know her. She's family. It'll be fine. And so we waited a couple weeks. And I was so depressed that I quit eating meat completely while I was there. I quit drinking. And all I did was walk. I took a bus from where we were to downtown Portland, and I walked for about eight to 10 hours a day for two weeks. Lost tons of weight. All I was doing is writing in my notebook, super depressed. And then she got a hold of us and was like, okay, it's going to be another two weeks. And I'm like, oh my gosh, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> so I think all together, I walked around Portland for about two to three months. I think it was like two and a half months. Um, and the reason I didn't drink is because I was so depressed. I knew if I drank, it'd be bad. Right. So I had a notebook full of all this stuff and I started putting together. I took in high school, I took some classes to, to, uh, for cartooning mm -hmm. with, uh, you know, do you know the comic book, uh, the ventures of Aaron? It was on image yeah. for a while. Yeah. It yeah, was I in, uh, it. I think it was in our local. It was. Yeah. yeah. Our local, local the paper. back page of our local yeah. paper. And then he ended up getting signed to image the Todd McFarland's whatever right. company. And he was my teacher, Aaron Warner. He, yeah. Yeah. I haven't so, thought of that name in so long. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I was super into drawing. So what I did was I started drawing these comics and put poems to it. And I started making this book and I called some friends from back home from Michigan, my friend, Abby and Nick, and she had been in publishing. She went to school for publishing and she, I started sending her copies of this stuff. And she's like, we need to publish this stuff. This is so good. I was like, really? She's like, yeah, just keep doing your thing. Keep walking. Let's get a whole book full of stuff. And let's publish it. I was like, okay, cool. So Toby, Toby, which was Jason's girlfriend, who was going to play guitar for Glenard, ended up moving to Portland. I think it took like almost three months. And we got together and, and jammed with her. And her... And I never had the best relationship, really. Like, we were kind of weird with each other. Um, I'm not actually sure why, but I'm sure it's because uh, I have a very strong personality when I'm in a band. Like, right. like this, is, this is how we're going to do it. Right. <laughs> um, I'm sure she knows why. But, and then her and Jason started not getting along and fighting a lot in Portland, and it made it really weird. So I just ended up quitting. I was like, I got to be done. I think I'm going back to Michigan. I got to go back to Michigan. Um, this isn't healthy for me. Uh, you know, I was down to like 120 pounds because all I was doing was walking <laughs> and not, not, not drinking, barely eating anything. And so I ended up going to Chicago, actually. And I, I went to Chicago for about three months um, and just visited some friends there and then came back to Michigan. Um, but... I was to say what's what's interesting too, and kind of speaking back to what we were talking about earlier, when you were in the the Michigan or the Kalamazoo area, you kind of seemingly picked right back up where you were like kind of leading the like 
at that point, instead of it just being a scene, it seemed like you were at the the, the epicenter of doing what I like to call the house venue circuit down in Kalamazoo. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it wasn't about, I think the thing, and I mean, kind of too, always you had a, a very DIY aesthetic to you, but I think mm-hmm. once to me, once Glenard kind of became a thing and it very was very much about a very DIY approach to everything. Like we'd rather play house shows and play at venues yeah. and, and things like that. That when you came back, it's like, I remember I was trying like, cause that's when I started getting into booking shows and someone was trying to, I was trying to get into Kalamazoo, but I just, I was like, I don't really like, I don't want to go somewhere where I got to owe a venue like money. Mm-hmm. Like I, I I'm just, these aren't those kind of shows. And then someone's like, Oh, we should up Glenn. Cause like, he's got a collection of like houses. There's like four or five. Yeah, and I, I was did. like, I was like, what, what do you mean a collection of four or five houses? Like, I didn't quite understand it. And then they were like, oh, well, there's like the, the courthouse and the chicken house mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. And yeah. to the point where like eventually when I started doing some house shows, everyone from Kalamazoo that would come up would be like, you got to name your house. I'm like, I don't know, the retirement house because it's got a shuffleboard on the floor. I don't know. Love it. That's a good name. <laughs> I've never used it. Um, but it was funny that I was like, man, Glenn's back in the scene and, and kind of more or less the the focal point of like our this Kalamazoo scene like he, he's kind of doing it again and it was yeah. interesting just to see like you sliding right back into it and again like kind of jumping ahead a little bit but it's like as soon as you decided to leave Kalamazoo and go to Chicago it's like oh well that whole scene crumbled now like that doesn't exist anymore <laughs> well I don't know if that's exactly true but um, um I know once you left in the chicken house like I think it was the beast in the field show that my wife went to uh yeah. where she said like just stuff was not cool or it was like maybe a different one, but like your door, like stuff got broken and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, that was beast of the field. That yeah. was beast of the field. She was like I saying it was it was fine, and we had people. So I posted online, and okay, our our heating vent got broken. Okay, completely. We had no heat. Our door got kicked in. Our door handle was missing. We had a broken window, and someone ran into our house and ripped the tiles off of our roof. <laughs> Took a bunch of tiles. So I posted all this online and I was like, look, we're trying to make a venue where people can come and they don't have to pay for alcohol. They can bring their own alcohol. It's all ages. Uh, we're just trying to make a safe, uh, space. Punk rock. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Safe punk rock venue for, for all people, old, young, whatever, just come and hang out. And the chicken house, every time we had a show, that basement was packed. Um, because I think we did what we thought out to do. We wanted people to drink for cheap. We wanted people to be safe and we wanted good bands. We only had really good bands play, you know? Right. Uh, and so I posted this online and we literally had like four people bring us doorknobs. <laughs> <laughs> we had our buddy get up on the roof and actually fix the roof. Uh, we had our other buddy come over and help us fix the heating vent and then our drummer built like a a wooden barricade around it so no one could do that again and then we had actually a you know bonus save patrick yes he does all the like graffiti work yeah yeah, yeah. yep yeah he came out and did murals the wall yeah both the walls yeah and like we were really impressed with the scene the scene actually gave back we're like wow this underground house party scene is it it's where it's at you know um and i actually had a venue i'm trying to think of it it was a venue that it was a gay bar but then they ended up putting a venue in the back in kalamazoo you know? yeah in metro kalamazoo. the 411 club yep that's it yeah they actually, shows there they sent me an email it's probably matt dorbin 
and told me how I was ruining the local bar scene. <laughs> <laughs> they told me that I was that I was taking away from their business, putting their their shows under, and it's all my fault, and I'm to blame, and I sh- I should be looking out for the whole scene as a whole. And I was like, look, man, I do look out for the whole scene. I just don't I don't see the point of people going to a club where they have to tip where they have to where you mark up the booze they can go to the store and buy you know a six twelve pack and drink all those beers for the price of two or three at a bar you know yeah and on top of that like you know like like something that i i'm not a big fan of per se is uh paying a venue like i have to pay like i understand paying a room room rental but yeah. I, I feel like after that it's like it's kind of horseshit that i have to give you a cut of the money I make once you've made the money just for, for paying for the staff, paying for everything and that sure. needs to be there. I don't think I should give you 20% when at that point, basically I'm bringing you business. Bringing, exactly. And so, that's what I, that's what I realized is these venues were not promoting. They uh-oh. were leaving it up to the bands to promote. They were charging us to play and we rarely got play, paid. Yeah. By the time we paid all the bands at a venue, we would take home maybe like 30 bucks. Yeah. You know, we would run these house shows. We would charge $2 at the door. We usually had about 300 people show up. We had enough money to pay every band. Right. You know, we didn't, we never charged more than $3. The $3 show was the beast in the field because they had a guarantee. Yeah. And we were, we really, they wanted to charge five and we we're like, no, three is the highest we will go. We all, we, we think three is kind of, uh, you know, a little too much. So what we did was we did $3 and a free PBR at the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's weird. Cause like I, I've talked about this. Actually, I think I talked about it with, uh, Zach from expire or now from stone. I did, uh, the, their like pseudo farewell house show tour that they were doing before their last official tour at, and it wasn't, I just basically literally housed the event and the take old church crew like booked it. Yeah. They charged $10 and the old church did yep that was for to get into my house for the show because i think stone i don't think stone or i mean i don't think expire had a guarantee but i think there was like an amount they wanted to give them and we had a hundred and hundred and thirty people paid at ten dollars oh, a piece that's really good plus think of all the like the three or four bands plus you know obviously like some like friends of like my like mine that came that didn't like just hung out at the house and so forth but i mean like if you were to put that same show on somewhere else, probably even at half the cost at a real venue, I don't think people would have came. Yeah. I mean, like, it's it's weird when you can sit there and be like, wow, I have 140 or 150 people paid at $10. That's $1,500. Right. That we just I mean, made. And it's like, if you were to, like, be that at a venue and do the same business, it's like, okay, like, first 300 or 400 is going to go to the venue. So, like, now you're down to, like, 1,100. Uh, right. Then you do an 80-20 split, probably, because you got a bar deal to get more of that. You're probably not going to hit it. So then you take away like 20% of that. So, I mean, you're looking at maybe like 800 bucks. So, I mean, it's like you just lost half of your money yeah. for doing the exact same thing. Like, it just sucks. Yeah. Uh, a cool thing is we played a couple of venues on the south side here in Chicago. The north side isn't doing this yet that I know of. So, don't I, don't, I mean, I'm not completely sure. But I know that they were doing uh, shows are free. Cause we never get paid when we play in Chicago ever. We usually, we never sell any merch and we never get paid. <laughs> when we play outside of Chicago, I kid you not, every show we at least sell a hundred dollars, at least a hundred dollars of merch and make gas money. You know? Right. 
anytime we play Chicago, we just don't ever take any money. We're like, give it to the touring band, you know, whatever. Um, and there's so many different shows going on in Chicago that it's hard. But I know that on the South side, we played a show and we played at this bar, the, skin, the skinhead bar. And they paid us when we we're done playing. They paid us $80, which is unheard of in Chicago. <laughs> and we were like, what in the world? They're like, oh, we're like, the show's free. How are you paying us $8? Like, oh, we do everything from bar tab, bar sales now. You get, you know, 20% of bar sales. That's, some that's some places do idea. that, but I don't know. I just think uh, like Mulligans is sort of like that out here. Um, oh, yeah? Like you get a percentage. Basically, it's like a flat fee, but it's supposed to be off of your total bar sales. Like if the show, people are drinking and so on sure. and so forth. But uh, people probably don't care about the inner workings of, <laughs> of how shows work and the pay breakouts. Um, yeah, yeah. So you end up moving to, like I said, you kind of came back to, to Michigan. Mm-hmm. And... I don't remember how long you were here. It didn't feel like more than maybe two years. I feel like it was less than that. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think probably about two. Okay. But then, like, I'm not sure. Yeah. But like I said, you kind of really did a good job of kind of rebuilding a local scene, even though it was a house scene. And I do remember yeah. talking to some of the different people who worked at a few different venues down there. And they were like, like the bands loved it because it worked. And yeah. they saw the, the people were coming out and having fun. And, and I mean, if you're in a band, that's the whole point of playing shows. Yeah. So I I just always heard the band's perspective, but then as I started booking my own shows down there and going like the 411 or Shakespeare's or whatever, a lot of people would be like, yeah, you know, this house show shit's just really killing us. And so it was really funny that I was like, even in trying to, again, do something good for the scene that you were a part of, but just yeah. as, and as a collective, as a whole of the Michigan scene and beyond, you're still getting, you're still the bad guy. You're still the villain. <laughs> I was very much the villain with venues. Venues stopped booking my bands. Yeah. Um, because I was in a few bands, like you said at the time. I was in a band called Vulture Circles Crow. It yep. was like a, a harder punk band. Um, kind of like, well, sort of hard. It was influenced a lot by Bear vs. Shark, um, but we had heavier parts. And then I was also in a folk punk band called Kickstand. Oh, that's with, right. I forgot about that band. With my girlfriend at the time. <laughs> Yeah. Still, still didn't learn that lesson. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, and then I was in a band called Drink Their Blood with my yes. real, really good friend, still best friend to this day, Jeff. Yeah. Wholesaler. Yeah. Yep. I forgot about they're, that. And then Ben's they're still in that band. Yep. And I was gonna say Ben's now. Yeah, Ben took my took my place. Yep. And plays a mean saxophone. That's right, man. <laughs> they're they're a great band. They're, I mean, their musicianship's amazing. It is. Although. Uh, Montrose could learn to keep his shirt on more often. <laughs> if you got the dad bod, you got to flaunt it. I know. It's always funny. It's like once, it was like me, one song in, and it's like, oh, this shirt's got to come off. I'm sweating. Yeah. I used to get a lot of crap for it too in my band. Everyone would be like, oh, here's the part where John has to take off his shirt and like all this stuff. And it's like, dude, it's hot. Dude, he's a killer drummer. Yes. Um, um, him and I didn't end on good terms though, unfortunately. Ah. Um, he saw he saw the last of my drunken days. Ah, we got we got in a good uh, fist fight and throwdown fight at practice one day, and that's when I decided to. That was the turning point of when I was like, I'm gonna be sober now. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, I guess there's the positive out of the negative there. Sure. So you end up moving to Chicago, and this is where I feel like. And as a result of you stopping drinking, it, it's been interesting yeah. to see the the transformation here. That you moved to Chicago, and it, and like I said, it, it's 
leaving Kalamazoo once again, kind of the the house show scene kind of went away. I, I started noticing it seemingly like the the venue started doing a little bit better, but then even like four one went under just because people weren't coming out. Oh, um, it did go under. I didn't know that. Yeah, it does a thing every couple of years where it goes away and then it comes back and then it goes away and it comes back. Um, sure. Shakespeare's is kind of the only venue I think in town outside of like Bell's. It's sort of doing yeah and, and charlie runs that yep go figure how show kid is running a venue and doing well with it well that dude he's a really cool guy and he's got his head on straight and he's really talented so um but yeah so you end up moving to chicago and then shortly yeah. thereafter once again like you're you're not in drink their blood they, they got a replacement for you sure. uh i i feel like you took a vulture circle square crow, crow sorry uh, I feel like you ended up taking that band with you for a hot minute, it seemed like. Or you're still trying to do it while you weren't here. Yes. So I tried to do that band in Chicago. Well, I tried to do it with Kevin Kiefer, actually, before I left. That's right. I forgot about um, that. <laughs> so I got – and I do you remember the band uh, Violet Vessel? Yes. Yep. So I got, th- so I got their drummer, which um, – What's his name? Uh, Greg Montrose or whatever that he is online. He became, he ended up becoming the drummer for Violet Vessel when I left. I think is that correct? I really just remember that name and band only, not necessarily who was in it. Okay, gotcha. So we got their drummer. I I basically put together a whole new Vulture Circles crew um, before I moved before I moved to Chicago. So I got Kevin Kiefer on bass. I got the dude from Violent Vessel on drums. And then I got Jeff from Drink Their Blood on guitar and some other people. I'm sure, I don't know if you know them. Um, but we started practicing and learning the songs. And I was going to keep that going. And then the night that I left for Chicago, I was recording the second um, Kickstands album. And I hadn't drank in about maybe about a month or month and a half. And you remember Tom Brothers? He was the, the second vocalist we brought in for Drink Their Blood. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. The goatee. the goatee. Yep. Yeah. We brought him on. He sang and Drink Their Blood. And he was actually helping me not drink. So we were both drinking non-alcoholic beer together. Um, Caliber, you know, the beer that's made by... Uh, I, I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, so anyways, Drink Their Blood had a show. No, sorry. It was uh, Vulture Circles Crow had a show, but he guest vocaled on a song, so he came to the show. And it was with Spit Spewing Snakes. I don't know if you know that band. No. Um, they're from Detroit. And then I think it was uh, some other Detroit bands. I don't remember. But they were, they were at this house show at the Cro- Honey Crock House, another venue that I helped run. Okay. You know that house? Uh, name only. I most of those okay. like by the time I was like trying to get into those things, like everyone would always be like, "Well, you need to go to this house because we're not doing anything." And then he'd be like, "No, you need to go to this." And basically, everyone just yeah. passed me around, and then I never got a show. And I was like, "Well, right, that right, was right. worthless." <laughs> <laughs> so we played that house, and I remember drinking these beers. We bought two six packs, and I just felt like I was drinking normal beer, and I completely forgot that I was drinking beer or drinking fake beer. Right. And and so you know, the night's going on, I'm having conversations with people and 
the conversations are normal. It's great. And then by the end of the middle to the end of the night, everyone's hammered and I can't even talk to them. And I'm like, what's going on? I've been drinking all night. Why are you guys like, (laughs) and Tom's like, dude, we're drinking fake beer here. And I'm like, Oh, that's right. We're drinking fake beer. (laughs) And so everyone's hammered. We're not hammered. And it really made me see how people are when they get drunk and how I was when I got drunk. And being sober, I was like, man, this, I don't want to be like this. This is, not, <laughs> this is not good. So so anyways, I was recording the Kickstand second album. And I was not in the best of moods because the guy who was recording it, which I won't say his name, um, was running notoriously late, famously late like he always does. And he knows who he is. <laughs> <laughs> and I was getting really upset. And I was supposed to go to Chicago uh, two days from then just to go visit some friends and stay there for a month just to get my head straight um, and try to reconnect with God to try to see what he had for me and try to really take this sober thing seriously um, and so we were recording and I was not in the best of moods because he was so late and you know and anyways so I was doing the drum parts and he's like, dude, you're just not getting these. You're not nailing them. I'm like, yeah, cause I'm pissed cause you're late. And he's like, well, just settle down, man. He's like, why don't you just have a beer? I was like, dude, I've been, I've been sober for like, you know, a month or a month and a half now. He's like, well, we like you better when you drink beer because you're not as uptight. And I was like, <laughs> like no, I'm not going to drink. So he brings down Jack at the time. That was my favorite. And he starts drinking. He's like, dude, you really got to chill out. You just got to drink this. So I did. I took a shot and I've been sober, you know, like, a month and a half or whatever two two months at the most and i ended up getting shit-faced like i always did and i stole my buddy's car drove it drunk um i I was a mess man i was trying to better myself and it's not his fault because i could have said no i could have stood my ground i'm not i'm not putting blame on him at all i'm just saying this is how out of control i was as a person right um and I only thought about myself. I only thought about how I, how I was going to drink more. And every time I had one drink, it turned into 50 drinks. And the old adage, one's not enough and two <laughs> or uh, one's too many and a hundred's yeah. not enough. Right. And so I hate who I am when I, when I drink, to be honest, I don't have the self-control. I know some people do, and I don't think drinking is a terrible thing, but for me it is. And um, I have an addictive personality. So when I'm into something, I'm into it, into it 100%. I put my all into it. Right. And so for me, I can't just be like, okay, I'm going to have two drinks and that's going to be it. It's either I drink the whole bar or nothing, you know? <laughs> so I decided it had to be nothing. So I paid my roommate a hundred dollars. I said, will you drive me to Chicago tonight? He was like, sure. Pay me a hundred dollars. I'll take you to Chicago. Right. Took me to Chicago. I stayed with my now bass player of October Bird of Death for a week. And I, the first two days or three days I was there, all we did was drink. And I was, I told him, I said, look, I'm going to drink for these three days and then I'm done for the rest of my life. And he had been through the, my alcoholism with me because he was the bass player, the first bass player of Vulture Circles Crow. And he was my roommate for a year. And he was like, okay, sure. I've heard this before, you know? <laughs> And I think the longest I stayed sober before was like maybe a year. And so I was like, nope, after this, I'm done. So that third night, we drank ourselves 
stupid or the second night we drank ourselves stupid the third night I was actually like I don't even feel like drinking I think I had one beer and then I was like this is my last beer and I'm done forever and that was four years ago which is like like you said like <laughs> when I got you the half gallon of Svetka for that house show yeah you collectively as the band were all laughing because you were drinking your smart waters which I was like I could put two and two together on that yeah that's what I, that's what I, I always brought smart waters to shows and like I said yeah I was drinking a fifth and so I'm gonna rewind it a little bit since you brought up smart water Um, can't drink smart water anymore well no (laughs) (laughs) but the story is is Luke Thornton one of my best friends now tattoo artist who wasn't reinventing yesterday for people who don't know we talked about earlier um asked me to do the service at his wedding to to marry him and his wife right at the time and I was completely honored but I was super nervous because he came up to me and he said look I don't want you drinking until after you marry us and I was like dude your wedding's at like 11 o'clock he's like exactly <laughs> I know how you are and I was like okay I, I give you my word that I won't drink until after I pronounce you to you know husband and wife and he's like cool so I remember I got the shakes and my head started hurting really bad. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm in, this is when I realized that I was a true alcoholic. <laughs> when I couldn't make it till 1 p.m. You know, I did it though. I didn't drink until I, I was like, I pronounced you husband and wife. And then I ran to my car and drank, <laughs> drank my smart water vodka. Ugh. At first, when I moved to Chicago, I actually took a year off from music and I had never done that before. How, what was that like? Um, I had to, I basically made a pact with God. I said, Hey man, you know, I'm really jacking up my life here and a lot of things in my life. Um, please just help me get my head straight. I'm going to put music on the back burner for a year. I'm going to give it to you so you can really show me where I need to go. You know, and he really did. And he gave me the desires of my heart after a year, like the blamed asked me to sing for him. And I got to be in bands with Sid from Head Noise, who I originally got saved. Right. Um, And then I got to start Two Minute Minor, which is a band that I really, really love. Um, And it's just, it was crazy taking a year off and really focusing on myself and really focusing on PMA, not just, not just pretending that I'm being positive, but really letting in positivity in my life and embracing this new city that I'm in. And I took walks again, uh, for about three to four hours a day and just let nature in, let positivity in my life. And I, I had a lot of demons and a lot of negativity that I let intertwine inside of myself. And I, I still have some of that, but I, I tried to free it a lot, you know? Yeah. So, and kind of talking about some of the bands that you're in currently, something, you know, with, it seems like everything was, and it always kind of has been like a stepping stone for the next thing. So like you end up moving out to Chicago, you start October Bird of Death, and then seemingly yeah. not too long after that, you start up Two Minute Minor. Mm-hmm. So once again, you, you can't just do one thing, <laughs> one thing, like you got you like just ADD and got to like have a million like stokes in the fire. Sure. And it's interesting, like just how, 
different those two bands were. And then it's like, you know, the blame thing came along. And I, I'm trying to think if you actually have ever really talked about how it happened. Like, it just seems kind of really. weird, like, how... It just seemed like out of nowhere, you're like, oh, by the way, we're, like... Uh, I, forget, I think it was October Bird of Death was playing Audio Feed. And then it was like, oh, and by the way, I'm also now the vocalist for The Blamed, and we're playing a show at Audio Feed. And it was just like, what? whoa, wait, how did that happen? Yeah. And so it was just very weird, like, how this third band that had, you know, was a, a bigger band, I would say probably, like, as far as a profile, like, one of the biggest bands you've been a part of. Sure, uh, yeah. And it was just, like, all of a sudden, it's just, like, it, very nonchalantly, like, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm just, I just happen to be the vocalist of this band now. And it's like, how does, how does that happen? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it was just very weird it's like you know it's something like that it seems like it would have there would have been a maybe a long-standing like process of like hey you know like some kind of communications like we're we're looking about maybe coming back we've seen you around the area something like there's it's not something that just kind of happens that you fall into so it's like i've always kind of wondered how did that happen sure um that's a good question um so okay let me try to wrap my mind around this because it's okay. So I started October Bird of Death with Darren and Darren was a guitar player in a band called Ballydows. Do you remember that band? No. No? Okay. No. They were they were pretty big in the Christian scene. They were kind of like, uh, uh, let me see if I can get this right. They had bagpipes in their music and they had like eight of them on stage. Anyway, so... Okay. What? Go ahead. I, I was gonna say, was this a band like around like ninety seven, ninety eight? Yeah, they. I think they were like ninety nine to two or ninety nine and two thousand to like two thousand three, two thousand four ish. Okay, the name sounds vaguely. Now that you mentioned the bagpipes, that sounds vaguely familiar. Uh, like I said, with one of the kids uh, in my you know, high school. Do you know the band Crash Dog? Name only, yes. Okay, they were like one of the first like bigger nineties uh christian punk fans okay um you know there was the 80s christian punk scene that was more like kind of on the metal side right this this was like more like straight up like punk and this the the second singer of that band was the singer of of uh, valley dallas okay so anyways um so i was working out in the same gym that darren worked out in and I was like, oh my gosh, that's the guitar player from Valley Dog. So we got to talking and we actually started, after about a year, we started working out with each other. Like we started being workout partners. And I kept asking him, dude, we got to start a band together. We got to start a band together. He's like, nah, Valley Dog is my band like that I loved and nothing can beat it. I don't want to beat another band. Like, I don't think anything can top that band. I, I think, you know, that was my dream band. No, I'm done. So kept working out with them, kept asking them, come on, dude, we got to start a band. We got to start a band. No, no. <laughs> so like after like six or seven months of asking them to be in a band, one day we're working out together doing like triceps or something stupid. And I'm like, come on, dude, we got to be in a band together. And he goes, okay, let's try it. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, what kind of style of music do you want to do? And I was like, well, punk rock, you know, I kind of want to, my goal was to try to pick up that Vulture Circles Crow type sound again. Right. That's what I wanted to do. And I was like, I got I know a bass player. He lives in Chicago because the bass player of Vulture Circles Crow, the first one, moved to Chicago to go to school. Kurt. 
Okay. And so we ended up getting him in the band. And then we ended up getting Brian Gray in the band who is the blamed. Okay. He's been, he's been on every blamed album. He basic he's a guitar player. He basically was the blame throughout all this time. Right. And he sang on the first blamed album. Um, so he was in the band for a little while and he was going through a divorce and he kind of had to step down because um, he was going through some hard times and he was working a lot. He had to get an apartment. Um, and he's like, well, I got this friend, Sid, who was in Head Noise, and I've known Brian and Sid both for about 16, 17 years now because we lived at Jesus People, the commune together back in early 2000s. Okay. Um, and I was like, oh, Sid, yeah, I'd love to work with Sid. That'd be cool. So we got Sid from Head Noise. And the weird thing is, is Sid's band is the band that I originally got saved watching at Cornerstone in 1998. So that was weird how that circle came around. Right. So that's kind of how Vulture Circles Pro got together. And then we got the drummer from um, this drummer guy. He played in Head Noise on their last run before they got back together. And he was also in a band called the Scurvies. I don't know if you know them. They're from Canada. Say again, name only. Just from okay. some of the people that are into punk rock music. And they Max a couple of times. He was our drummer for a little while. He ended up getting a management position at his job. He had to step down. He ended up moving. Um, so I was like, well, I don't know how we're going to find a drummer that's you know, better than him. So I put some postings up in the local Tooth and Nail site on Facebook, and we got this guy, and we tried him out, and he's a phenomenal drummer, young kid named Zach, and he ended up becoming the drummer in Two Minute Minor also, and he's one of my best friends right now. So, <laughs> so what was the spark to, to bring the blame back, though? Because they oh. were not a True. band at okay. the time. Right. So about a year passes and Brian wants to record the October Bird of Death album, our eight song EP. And he wrote probably about three or four albums. So he was like, I really want to be a part of this. I really want to record it. Why don't you guys come to my studio and record your album? We're like, okay, cool. So we go and record the album and I was doing vocals with him or he was recording vocals and he was like wow you really have a powerful voice you really can carry your voice he's like you know i've kind of wanted to bring the blame back been thinking about it or whatever audio feed is he called me up and said audio feed has been asking um which is the new cornerstone right has, has been asking the blame to do a reunion show would you be interested in it and i was like uh, yeah like you know, I, <laughs> I had friends who listened to the blame. I listened to the blame when I was a kid, you know, I would definitely be interested. So he sent me, but the only album I really knew from the blame, um, back then I knew two albums. I knew their last album that they came out with. I think it was like 2002, which was give us Barabbas, which I was not a fan of. It was kind of, to me, it was kind of <laughs> like a, a Fugazi type ripoff, you know? Okay. And then they had an album called frail, which they did. I want to say like 96. And that was like hardcore punk type stuff. And I was like, as long as we do like the frail error type stuff. And he's like, yeah, man, we want to do the first album, which is 21. 
and we want to do frail type stuff. So he sent me both albums. I listened to them religiously and got back to him. And he's like, well, what'd you think? I was like, okay, here's what I got to say. I don't like the singer's voice on 21 at all. He really, really stepped up his game on frail. And I love that album. Everything about that album is perfect. And he goes, Oh, that's cool. That was me singing on 21. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, I turned bright red. I was like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. He's like, no, it's cool. He's like, we got this guy named Jeremy Moffat to sing on Frail. Um, Why does that name sound familiar? He also played drums in Stavesaker. Okay. I was like, that name sounds so familiar. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, do you think you can do this stuff? Do you think you can kind of stay in that vein like, I was like, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll listen to it some more. Because I hadn't listened to it since I was a kid. And listening to it, listening to it. And I, I kind of fell in love with it. Um, so I was like, yeah, I want to do, let's just do this Frail album. Let's do this album. So I learned all the Frail songs and we played them at, at Audio Feed. And from there, we got such a good reception that we decided to play a couple more shows. We opened for Project 86. Um, and... Milwaukee, Milwaukee, I think it was. Yeah. Um, we put and then we played Take Old Fest, uh, not this year but last year. Yep. Um, so I think we played three shows with the Blamed, and then with me. I know they did an acoustic set at Audio Feed last year, but I didn't want to be a part of that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you guys, you guys take that. Um, and we're working on a new album, and we got Jim Chafin. I don't know if you know him. He's from the Crucified. Again, name name only, but yes. Yeah, he's the drummer of the Crucified and Deliverance, and uh, he was the original drummer of the Blamed. And so we're we're doing a new album, and Tobin from Flatfoot Fifty Six is producing it. Okay. Um, and we're kind of going back to that old that old style, that old raw raw punk rock style. So. And then, if I'm not mistaken, Two Minute Minor just signed with a somebody. Yeah. Uh, Two Minute Minor and October Bird of Death have always been on this independent label called Zapped out of the UK, out of Scotland. Okay. Um, good friend of ours, Dave Emerson, who's also um, a musician. He was in the Old Timers. Um, he's in another band. Oh, he's going to kill me. I forgot the name of them. <laughs> uh, they're actually really good. But, like, they're pretty new. Okay. Um, if he, he's going to listen to this, I know, and he's going to be like, you forgot the name of my band. <laughs> <laughs> it's, but, it happens. You've been, I mean, you've done really good at memorizing people from bands from uh, almost 20 yeah. years ago at this point or further back. Yeah. So you, you're allowed to forget, forget one. Cool, cool. <laughs> so he helps us out tremendously. Like he does all the, um, he puts all of our stuff on Spotify. Every, anything that has to do with the internet, he pretty much puts their music on any form of internet so he's a distribution label only okay okay so he doesn't give us a any budget money. or anything like that correct yeah he doesn't give us a budget everything that we come out with like our seven inch was out of our own pocket um all of our tapes that we make and uh cds are out of our own pocket so shirts out of our own pocket so he actually does a lot though he does he does a lot of promoting for us and he does a lot of online stuff but we were kind of looking for a label that could help us financially. 
Right. So we signed with this label out of California that mainly does pop punk only. Um, and they're called Indivision Music. And I got hooked up with Brandon through Indivision Music because he put out the first run of the brand new Blame shirts that when I, when I was in the Blame. Right. He got, he got a hold of us and he says, I want to finance these new Blame shirts. I love the Blame. I want to, I want to be a part of this. And we we're like, okay, cool. <laughs> and and him him and I at first kind of had uh, it was weird. I'm not a businessman in any sense, and I never want to be. I hate money. I don't care about money. I'm all about music, and I'm all about passion. I'm all about being DIY and punk rock. You you know that about me, right? No matter if it's a folk band that I'm in, no matter if it's uh, folk punk, no matter if it's punk, no matter what indie rock, I do every. I like to do everything DIY. And he wanted to charge 20 bucks for these things or 18 bucks for these shirts. And I was like, no, I'm sorry. The blame's trying to go back to more of the original DIY uh, hardcore punk ethics. I can't put out a shirt for $18 and be okay with it. Sorry, I'm not going to do it. Right. And he's like, oh, really? He's like, all these other bands do that. And I was like, no, I got to stick with my punk rock ethics here, my DIY ethics. And he's like, okay. He's like, I had another band. I forgot the name of them, but he's like, I had another band. I think maybe Craig's brother do the same thing. But what they did was their profits that they were going to make, they donated to a local charity of their choice. And I was like, okay, I'll make you a deal. Let's do these shirts for 15 and we don't make any money. Whatever money we were going to make goes to this local homeless shelter here in Chicago called CCO. And they're like, Okay, let's do that. I was like, cool. I feel comfortable doing that. So that's and he was so understanding and so willing uh, to put his business guy suit aside and to actually care about people that that really kind of drew me close to him, you know? Right. And so two years later, um, we're looking for a label, and me and my buddy Mike, who is now the new guitar player of. Um, two minute minor was in this band called Anti World System, and they were like a really outspoken Christian band uh, that preached from stage and was really in your face. And I'm not into that. I'm not an out. I'm not an outspoken Christian in the sense where I don't. And I'm not saying they were doing this, but I don't push my religion, if that's what you want to call it, my personal relationship with God down people's throats. Right. I feel like I feel like that. In my in my personal opinion, I think that's really lame. Right. Um, I'm more of Hey man, this is what I chose to do. This works for my life. Everyone's on their own path, and whatever this person's doing right now, they're there for a reason. This works for them. You know, all I can do is if they have questions about how I'm living my life and what I'm doing, I'll I'll answer their questions. But we're all on our own personal journeys, and why is my journey better than theirs? You know, right. I never under, I never understood that. Yeah. So when Mike joined Two Minute Minor, I was like, you know, I don't want any of this. Uh, pushing stuff down people's throats type stuff. I don't want to be an outspoken Christian band because not everyone in our band is a Christian. We have one member that's not, but I am a Christian. And so my lyrics are going to reflect that. And the way I live my life is going to reflect that. I want this to be my ministry, but I don't want to push people away. Does that make sense? No, totally. I think that's kind of how you've always done things more or less. Like you want people to be as excited about something as you are, but if they're not, then you're fine with that too. And you sure. just try to find a common ground. So 
I mean, it's kind of yeah. like why I would say between like you and Rush, you're probably two of the people I know that are open about your faith, but you're not. Like, you're kind of how I wish more people would be, where it's like, eh, if you want to talk about it, we can. If you don't, that's fine. There's plenty of other stuff we can talk about. Sure. So, um, yeah. so what was it like being able to do audio feed? Kind of, I mean, like we've said a couple of times, it basically is the cornerstone of now. Yeah. So, you know, kind of sure. in, in wrapping this up as a whole, since I know you got to go to work here pretty soon. Uh, how is it to kind of have a, a pseudo full circle moment there where, like, a place you saw a band... Yeah. That kind of saved you, and now you're you're in a reunited band, and maybe have it given that same experience to somebody else that's in that crowd. Yeah, uh, I actually I worked at Audio Feed uh, 2000, 2001, 2002, not 2003, and then 2004. I did security. Um, <laughs> we drove around on golf carts and everything. So Cornerstone has a, has a place. It holds a place in my heart. I've seen lots of shows there. I've seen lots of bands grow there. Um, never got to play there with a band. So playing audio feed, yeah, it was surreal, man. Uh, October Bird of Death. I usually call it October. That's why I started there. We, uh, we played the first year. We played on a smaller stage. And there, I mean, there was a decent amount of people. There's probably like 50, probably about 50 people that saw us. It was their first year. We put up flyers everywhere saying, oh, members of the Blaine, Valley Dows, and, uh, had noise trying to get people to come out and decent amount of people came out. We sold like $350 in merch and we were, we were like, wow, this is awesome. You know, this is, this is great that we're getting up, you know, on our feet, we're getting off the ground. People are so awesome here. It's like a family reunion. And the second year, this last year we played, it was amazing. They put us on the big stage. It was packed. There was tons of people. And the, and the thing that I have to say about this year, Last year, there was a lot of shows going on, but there were sporadic people everywhere. Mm-hmm. And this year, it seemed like every band that played had a good-sized crowd watching them, which I really like. So they kind of figured out the formula to make that work for yeah. everybody? Yeah. Yeah, I think they put, like, they put, because there's lots of bands that play uh, at the same time. Right. I think they put different, like, they wouldn't put two punk bands on at the same time. They wouldn't put two metal bands on at the same time. Like they kind of figured out their formula to where it really worked. And last year it was packed. We had tons of people, at least 100, 150 people watching us. And we sold $950 in merch uh, last year. And so we were just completely blessed and blown away by the reception that we got. So I think audio feeds a great thing. I mean, it's funny. I just kind of picked up on this and it's not really anything I'm going to go very far with, but it's funny that for as much as you say, like you're not a business person Mm -hmm. per se, it's funny that you, when looking at some of these things, you speak in numbers. We had this many people, there was a growth. I mean, it's like all you're missing is like, we had a growth of 150% from one year to the next, or we, you know, did 300%, Mm -hmm. you know, more profits in merch and looking at that kind of stuff. So it's funny that something that I've always kind of thought was funny about knowing you and working with you on some shows and such is you're very much not, you don't care about money. Like a lot of times, yeah. like I go, you're like, I oh, just go pay the other band, whatever you're going to give us or something like that. Yep. But what was funny about it though, is it's like, you were one of the first people that like, you know, like I would ask you something like if we were working on a show together, it'd be like, what, do, what are you thinking this is going to pull? And you're like, Oh, well, you know, I know this band usually is good for about 30, 40 people, blah, blah, blah. If I had to like hedge my bets and say, we're probably going to do, 
probably like 125 people on a Saturday because this show's going on. Yeah, maybe we <laughs> yeah. should. Like, you know all the numbers and, and the, the business yeah. side of it, but it's like you're so unwilling to like really admit that you like have a business mind for it. I think I've learned over the years in all of my bands, I've given away stuff. I still do. I, I'll still, <laughs> it's, I still will. But it's important to me that we can be that we can have a good turnover, that we can sell shirts and keep making them. Because if I, if living in Chicago, stuff's really expensive. And if I have to keep putting in my own money to make these CDs, to make these shirts, or everyone has to throw in money, then we're going to get, we're going to go broke. So for a scene, the audio feed scene to, to give us that much, uh, you know, love to give us that, that much money and support means a lot to me because I don't see any of this money personally. I, I don't take, I don't take a dollar from what any of my band makes and put it into my own pocket. This all goes back into the band. Right. It's just kind of how it should in, be. Right. This goes back into, and I'm doing, I'm doing 40 hours worth of work a week booking and doing all these other things, which in October to death, Darren does a lot of that, which I'm really thankful for. But, you know, we're doing all this work as a band collectively as people in the band and we're not seeing any of this money. So for our band to have this money, for us to, to continue to do merch and to see the numbers grow with the money that we make and with the people that come to shows, that's important to us because it means we're growing as a, as a band, as a unit, you know? Right. So last uh, two questions. Sure. Collectively, what's sure. this 2018 have in store for, for you and the three bands you're a part of? Obviously, you said that you're recording a new Blamed record. Uh, I think you just, was it like two, two months ago you put out that 7-inch? For oh, two, I don't know. recently though, you put out the seven yeah. inch. <laughs> it's kind of is the gist is that you put out something recently ish, yeah. Um, so is there more plans to just kind of go that route? Like, it seems to kind of be more the punk route anyway, kind of do like sure. pseudo mixtapes or comps and uh, seven yeah, inches we, and splits. We do take we every release that we do for two minute minor, we plan on doing CDs, seven inches, and tapes. Okay, our, our drummer Zach owns a and runs a tape company called dbd tapes and he has made tapes for i think like 20 different bands now i think he's on his 20th 20th project um it's fairly new he just started it last year and so we get tapes for thick and cheap probably like your merch that you create yeah yeah (laughs) and we did and we did all of our cds ourselves we screen printed our cds for october death and we did a 16-page booklet that we did by hand, you know, 100 or 150, how many we did, um, two-minute minor, and we made all the vinyls ourselves, the the actual vinyl we got made, but, like, all the inserts we bought, you know, we printed the inserts, we did everything ourselves, so we did everything DIY, and that's going back to the Indivision Music is they're going to help us a little bit and give us money for that to put out so it takes a lot of pressure off of us mainly off of our drummer he does most of the work to be honest right with all that stuff so he's pretty much the diy king i kind (laughs) of gave that over to him he's younger you know he takes that reign now um but two minute minor is going to michigan going to kalamazoo in february um to record with jeff hosteller drink their blood we're going to his studio um, and we're going to record our second seven inch. Um, 
October Death is doing a four song seven inch on Zap Records. And then the Blamed has been chipping away at this new album for the last year and a half. And we're our goal is to get it done in 2018. I don't know if it'll come out in 2018, but we're trying to get it at least all recorded. Any shows maybe to help? Not until we get the Not album until it's done. done. Okay. This is where I usually have the person plug the socials for the bands or themselves or whatever, and then have them sure. pick a song to end the episode out to. Oh, pick any song? Any song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so I'm supposed to plug Facebook and jazz like that? That's. I mean, you don't have to. I mean, I think it'd be kind of punk rock if you didn't, but I mean, I'm going yeah. to regardless at the end. I'm, I'm going gonna, gonna to do it myself. Okay, so. yeah, I'll let you do that because I... <laughs> I'm usually not into that. But I get to pick any song I want, huh? Yep. Could be Tom Waits. Could be Mike Patton. <laughs> oh, man. So I see you looking at what per, 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 probably is a stack of CDs off to your... Yeah, vinyl. <laughs> yeah. So let's do Chicago's own uh, Brick Assassin. Brick Assassin. You can find it on Spotify or Bandcamp. Okay. And let's do Bonehead Dicks. It's about not letting the Nazis into our scene. Very appropriate. So that's what I'd like to end the, the show with. All right. And uh, yeah, thanks for doing this. And sorry it was so long with <laughs> long with oh, no, but no problem, brother. I appreciate lot to, the opportunity. Uh, catch up on. Yeah, man. Good seeing your face again. Yeah, you as well. Hopefully you enjoy the rest of your day and a happy new year. All right, brother, you too. Peace. All right, God bless. So that was my chat with Glenn Willis of the band The Blamed, Two Minute Minor, and October Bird of Death. Never one to let some free time go by, <laughs> seemingly. Uh, Glenn is a, a very busy man, and so for him to take uh, about two hours out of his day uh, before he went to work was uh, greatly appreciated. Uh, some of these chats lately have been really long, and the thing is is I want to cut these down to about an hour, maybe an hour and a half, but sometimes I, I like the fact that for someone who doesn't really do long-form interviews, uh, or even to the point of, you know, with this, like some people maybe recently learning who Glenn is due to his new position in the blamed and being kind of a band that has a, a history behind it. And Glenn hasn't done a whole lot per se, let alone with someone who knows it as much about his background as I have uh, been around for over the years. So it was one of those where it's, it's really hard to cut anything out that I don't think really adds to the narrative of, of Glenn to kind of really show the story. And I, I think the bigger thing for me, too, that I wanted to, to talk to him about is, you know, like as, as he said, even the drinking was kind of self-admittedly, and, and I can even attest to this, a bit out of control. Um, I mean, like he said, when he was trying to marry or going to marry his friend Luke, uh, he kind of struggled just waiting to get past 11 o'clock in the morning. Uh, so it's one of those where to see Glenn basically giving his life up away from alcohol and being sober as well as refinding his faith. I mean, I'm not going to sit there and say that one doesn't have a direct hand in helping the other because typically if you know anything about AA or any of those kind of things or recovery as a whole, kind of go hand in hand. <clears throat> but with that being said, he uh, is a great person and like I said, very passionate and very positive person to to follow and be around and to know. So it was great really getting to, to talk to him. I haven't had a chance to talk to him at length uh, in a very long time. So it was very awesome to kind of do that with this. And hopefully the time total doesn't deter you from actually listening to everything and kind of getting to know Glenn uh, a little bit more than maybe you may. All of that being said, <clears throat> we are going to kind of get out of here as quickly as possible. So the socials. 
Uh, you can follow Glenn on Instagram at Wiley Murder Willis. That's all one word. I believe it's just Wiley Willis on Facebook. Uh, Facebook, if you want to follow the bands he is in, you can follow them at The Blamed, uh, at Two Minute Minor Hardcore, and at October Bird at Death. Uh, Instagram, I already said his personal one. The band page, uh, October Bird of Death, all one word, and at Two Minute Underscore Minor. I couldn't find one for The Blamed. I don't know if that's just a, an oversight or what but none of my searches on anything came up with anything uh if you would like to follow my partner for this podcast the mosh pit nation uh you can find them at moshpitnation.com that's where you can actually find this uh podcast as a whole they're they hosted on their website uh you can follow them on mosh pit nation west mi as well as mosh pit nation on twitter and instagram you can follow the podcast at mosh <laughs> Not at Mosh Pit Nation. You can do that as well. You can follow me over on Facebook at Johnson Title Podcast. You can find me under that name on Instagram. You can tweet at me at Johnson Title Pod. And you can email me at Johnson Title Pod at gmail.com. Uh, looking forward to this year, as I've said. Uh, again, today ended up listening to some more podcasts, year end reviews. I was actually a little bit nervous about posting next week's episode, which was my chat with Rob Rivera of Nonpoint, where we basically broke down our favorite albums of this past year and some of the things that we were looking forward to this upcoming year. And interestingly enough, I was like, ah, is it too late? Is it not? I don't know. And I heard Jericho was doing basically the exact same thing. So uh, next week. So I feel a little less uh, self conscious about putting a year end review after the new year has already happened but with that being said i'm really looking forward to that one it's gonna be another long chat but rob's got some great stories that he tells about some of the bands that just kind of coincidentally get brought up uh, as far as you know just two people talking about music and hopefully uh if you are a fan of his or not he is thinking about getting into the podcast game and i think he would be great and have great stories and be able to get great guests so i'm really hoping that rob kind of continues down that he's done a couple other podcasts the talk to me podcast and some others but that'll be next week's episode our year in review and music uh why don't you go ahead and hit myself up on any of the socials and let me know what some records you were feeling and what are some of the records you are looking forward to hearing this year i uh, would love to chat and maybe find out some new music that I'm not aware of that's out there or that is coming out pretty soon. But uh, yeah, so without further ado, we end these episodes as always with a song. And as you heard Glenn pick, this is from Chicago's own Brick Assassin. And the song is called Bonehead Dicks. Talk to you next week. <laughs>